Okay, we're live. Hi, everybody. It is interview Friday on lunch therapy. I didn't know Jared Leto was on on the Fight Club in the Fight Club. Here he is, little GIF, animated GIF. Uh, we want him on the show. Yeah, so uh, find him on Instagram. Send him a message. Cult of the Hummingbird. Let's get into this thing. Things are getting a little crazy. Okay, here we are. Friday. Interview Friday. Time for taking some deep breaths. And here we go. I'm going to take in a really deep breath here. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to let it out. Second deep breath. Come on, do this with me. Feel your feet on the floor. In through the nose. Let it out. Holy Pam Palmieri, where is Jared Leto? It's a good question. Uh, yeah, Mary is on the Twitch. Yes. Make sure you follow. Make sure you uh, subscribe. Okay, taking in another breath. Feeling it all the way in the back of my lungs. Holding it. Letting the oxygen go through my body. You sound like you're smoking a joint. We're getting high on our own supply. Let it go. You know, sometimes oxygen can be better. Better than uh, marijuana or some other substances. Oxygen is all around us. It uh, stimulates our body, makes us feel good. I feel better. Okay, so there's a lot going on here today. Uh, one of the things is Ed's amazing liquid light show is behind me, which is uh, one of my favorites, one of my favorite backgrounds. One of, this guy is just a, he's an artist. He's an artist. Um, Jeff Lohman is having another trivia night next Friday, 7 p.m., I'm going to show you the trailer. Uh, here we go. Let's get in there. Head rush. <laughs> yeah, I just got a head rush. Well, some oxygen going in. Okay, here's a trailer for Jeff Lohman's Trivia Night. Next Friday night, 7 p.m.
I mean, that's going to be good, right? I mean, that is going to be fun. So anybody who wants to join in, uh, Kvork, uh, Kyork 6 you know, hit us up on Facebook, uh, anywhere that you want to, you know, send us a message. Lunch therapy is a category. So if you've been watching lunch therapy, you know, you're going to be ahead of the game. If you haven't, you're going to, you know, you got some catching up to do. Um, Jeff is killing it with the damn video. He really is. All right. Uh, Twitch, you know, you guys are invited. Uh, anybody's invited, just, uh, hit us up on the, um, you know, wherever you hit us up and let us know and I'll add you to the invite. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And, uh, <laughs> there's some swearing going on. It's so incredible. Uh, Gina is here. She's watching in a new way. She's watching on Periscope. I love it when people go out to the different social, social networks and grab us, bring us in. Um, I love it when there's new viewers like Sikork6. Um, all right, we got to move on. Mary. <laughs> Mary, you're, yeah, we're bringing you in. We're bringing, oh, that's one other thing that I want to say is if, if you come in and you're like, you know, you're, you're one person instead of two people, that you get a bonus. You get like a, a bump, a 20% bump or something like that because, you know, when there's two people, it's kind of not fair because they're ganging up on you. So, yeah, so everyone is welcome. Again, there's lunch therapy t-shirts, joelmarshall.com. That's where you go for all your stuff. Um, I love this. You're a loser. Mary, I want to address this. You're not going to lose because you're smart. You're super smart. And that is self-deprecating humor. Um, Scott. Hopefully Scott is going to join us also next Friday for some uh, trivia night. Ganell. He's saying follow Joel. Yes, this is a cult. Yes, this is a cult. Um, Irve. Hey, good to see you. All right, things are going you know, really well, and this is Interview Friday. I got my headphones on. Uh, we're going to interview a, a comedian out of Las Vegas, and she is, she's, she's a good, really good person. Um, I'm going to bring you guys into that. Here we go. Interview Friday. Linda Marcus-Smith, welcome. All right, everybody. Here we are today with Linda Marcus-Smith. This is kind of a crossover episode. Linda is also interviewing people on the internet, and she is also a comedian. And today for Interview Friday, I'm interviewing an interviewer and also a comedian. Welcome to our show. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on, Joel Marshall. I have been, uh, I don't know if you know this, but we met in Portland, Oregon at Harvey's Comedy Club. I thought you looked and sounded so familiar. Yeah, so we were there in that dark club, and I was uh, doing some comedy there, and you came up to me and started talking to me, and, and uh, you're just such a, a ray of and hope and such a great presence, such a great energy. Um, I was like, who is this lady? And then it turns out, like, everybody seemed to know who you were, um, and it turns out you're a comedian. I kind of guessed that. Um, I think that you're from Portland. Is that right? Born and raised. Born and raised in Portland. I'm from Seattle myself. Oh my God. What part of Seattle? Uh, I'm from Edmonds, Washington, which is a little north. Uh, grew, grew up there. I was not born there. I was actually born in Syracuse, New York, but we moved when I was two or three. Uh, we moved out to the Pacific Northwest, which from, uh, we had been, my parents are from Pittsburgh. Wow. And so coming out to the Pacific Northwest at that time 
was sort of like, there were people who were like, what are you doing? You're going out there, you're gonna live in a tent out in the woods. Wow, yeah. How do you like it in Seattle? Oh, Seattle's, I mean, you know, I'm Edmonds. a Seattle person. I'm a Seattle or an Edmonds person. So, yeah. yeah, I love it. A lot of our viewers are from that area as well. So hi, guys. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how about you? Did, were you born and raised in Portland or how, how did you? Yes, Joel really? and everybody here on, uh, what is this, uh, Friday lunch? Interview Fridays, lunch Interview there. Fridays, Interview yeah. Fridays, yeah. I was born in Portland, Oregon in 1951. Wow. So in 31 more years, I'll be a, an official antique. <laughs> and I grew up in Portland in a really weird time. Before we were passive aggressive, we were really racist. I but see. we don't talk about politics. Uh, it was a really nasty place to grow up in. Was in those it really? Yes. You know, Big it's funny. I, I always say that in my comedy that, um, well, I, I say, uh, you know, I come from Seattle mm -hmm. and is the uh, passive aggressive capital of the world. And I, I say that just because I feel that's true. And then people are like, yeah, that's true, you know? And so, uh, I guess Portland is probably like that as well. Yeah, like the audiences where you've been to Harvey's, uh, yeah. a lot of times the audiences will pay good money for a babysitter and dinner to sit in a booth and go, all right, make me laugh. Yeah. You know, and it, it, in a lot of ways, the passive aggressiveness permeates almost everything in Portland. Wow. wow for instance, my yeah. comedy, I've mm -hmm. only been in comedy six years, but my comedy there did not fly. Not oh, really? because it was dirty. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a clean comic. Uh -huh. I'm straight as an arrow. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, it didn't fly. And I talk about the racist past of Portland just real briefly. Really? And I talk about the fact that, you know, I'm a veteran with a brain injury and PTSD and mm -hmm. been a single mom. And those are stories of my life. And it doesn't go over like it does in Vegas. Mm. Is that, why you here moved, to laugh. is that why you moved to Vegas? Yeah, I came on a visit in October wow. and I got to meet everybody behind the scenes at Laugh Factory and I'm like, what am I doing in Portland? I you see. know. So yes. you found, when did you, did you come to comedy kind of late in life? Well, I always, you've heard this a thousand times, I was the class clown, uh -huh. always made people laugh. Mm -hmm. I even made a Buckingham Palace guard on duty laugh <laughs> you did. That's like a goal of some people when they, that's everybody's goal when they see those Buckingham Palace guards. Yeah. Make, make a face or something. You made and them I laugh. Mean, yeah. And I what, made Do you know a, what you said? I did, or did? did. I did slapstick mime. I just imitated him right in front of him. Oh my God. Wow. And just walked back and forth like a soldier, like a toy soldier. Huh. So uh, did he get fired? He might have gotten beheaded. I oh, is that what happens? Oh, wow. I don't know. So, um, so okay. So, what made you start doing actual stand-up comedy where you get up on the stage and, and talk? I am now sixty-nine years young, mm -hmm. and I didn't start till I was sixty-three years of age. The only reason I started comedy was I was this, I. I went into banking. That was a long career. Wound up um, getting married and having a child. She's mm -hmm. now 43. Mm -hmm. And there was a time on March 13, 2014, where she and I went our separate ways for God knows how long. Every day is like Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. So it was a terrible split up between the two of us. And 
I don't know that she'll ever want me back in her life. Hmm. It's a whole Oprah talk show thing. Okay. And so when that day happened, I really didn't want to live, but I didn't want to kill myself. So Uh I called the local comedy club. (laughs) Next best thing. Right. And I thought I'd hang out with other people who do want to kill. No, never mind. Yeah. So you called up your local comedy club and you said, what, I want to get on stage? You have an open mic? What, what, what was it? I called up and I said, um, I want to learn comedy. Yeah. I don't want to live without my daughter in my life. So can you get me in there and teach me today? And instead of calling 1-800-273-TALK, mm-hmm. they got me in at two o'clock. Okay, so they got, what do you mean? What was this called, 1-800? They they could have said just a minute and sent an ambulance to my- Oh, I see. (laughs) Great jacket, yeah. So uh, you came in to learn comedy, and who'd you learn from? Rocky Osborne, shout out. He's in Southern California in Temecula, Mm -hmm. and he's still doing comedy. He's among one of the world's best comics. Mm-hmm. Along like with the likes of Dante and Dante Rachelelli and uh, a few others, he's way up there in skills. He's been doing this probably twenty five so years. He was in Portland at the time, and you took classes. No, or, no. So we need I mean, to go through the so trajectory of where I've lived in my life because okay. I was in Southern California at the time. Oh, I see. Born and ra- I'm uh, born and raised in Portland. Mm-hmm. Went into the military in seventy three yeah. to serve my country. And what branch of the military were you in? Army. And you were in the army, okay. I counted Excellent. money. That's all I did. While men were You're out army serving accountant. and fighting Jane Fonda uh-huh. in Vietnam. Oh, That's wow. an old reference. If you don't get it, you can Google it. While men I were fighting it. Jane Fonda, I was yeah. fighting men off in Germany because I was one woman among 2,000 men. Wow. And where were you stationed in Germany? Hanau. It's a... a the Dunlop tires are from there, mm-hmm. and the Grimm brothers. Okay, so during the Vietnam War, during the Vietnam War, you were stationed in Germany yeah. doing accounting for the war. Correct. Wow, and so Just, how long did you do that? Three years. Three years. Well, did you consider yourself lucky that you weren't in Vietnam? I did. Were there women I, in Vietnam as well, besides? There were, but not Vietnam. on the front lines like now. Mm-hmm. Nurses, you know, or backup support kind of things, but not in battle. And, you know, like throughout history, history, women have been in battle zones, mm-hmm. but not in Did battle. you enlist in the army during the Vietnam War or were you? I lost back? my damn mind. Yes, I did. Wow. I joined during when men were getting drafted. Mm-hmm. I wanted to travel. Mm-hmm. I had really bad missing teeth. And I wanted to see the world on somebody else's pocketbook. And so I went to the recruiter and I said, where, where are you located? Where are your posts or, you know, branch? Where are you? Tell me where I would wind up. Would I be yeah. in the sticks or in a big city? Turns out the army was the best choice for me because it was around the big cities. I'm a big mm-hmm. city girl. You are. Do you consider yeah. Portland a big city? In the fact that it has, a, no, in, in the real scheme of things, it's not a New York, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not like a little Coeur d'Alene or, you know, mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. it. Sorry if you're from Coeur d'Alene out there. You know, it's well, bigger, yeah, sure but no, it's not the big talking, but, you know, comedians, that's what we do. We sometimes offend ourselves and other people and they, you know, usually people think it's funny. 
Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> you, can't be too, you can't be too careful. You're talking about Coeur d'Alene, uh, Idaho. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Portland is not that big of a city, but. Yeah. Portland. So, um, so okay. So you went over to Germany. I did. You were in 73. for three years. Did people think you were crazy for enlisting in the army and during Vietnam? My fellow comrades who happened to be mostly men, mm -hmm. they made the assumption Mm -hmm. that I was either a lesbian or a nymphomaniac. Uh -huh. I got that question a lot. Uh -huh. So that was the assumption in those days, because Gloria Allred's a little bit younger than me. She, we didn't have the Me Too movement that yeah. is out there now. Mm -hmm. And men could ask and say and do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But now, you know, they did assume certain things and yeah. I loved my country. I wanted to represent my country, travel, and get my teeth fixed. Nice. And so you were there for three years, and then you came back? Then I got married in the military, had a daughter, came back, raised her, got a divorce. Mm -hmm. um, it's better than suicide or homicide. I highly recommend it as the top choice there. It's <laughs> an alternative. That and stand-up comedy. Yes. Alternative. All else fails. Yeah. Okay. So this is something we talk about on the show and also, you know, comedians, I'm interested in this uh, because uh, comedians, oftentimes people say that they're depressed. Uh, you're saying that some of them are suicidal. Um, how do you keep your sunny attitude being a comedian? I do a lot with myself when I'm alone. And I don't mean that in a, in a porn hub kind of way. Mm -hmm. I mean that when I'm home alone, I'm always trying to stay in touch with the little girl before the little girl uh, was abused or hurt, you know? I want to project the innocence of my childhood before my innocence was taken away. Mm. So we all have bad days where you just want to yell at a cockroach, you know? Mm -hmm. You want to take it out on somebody that can't defend themselves. We mm -hmm. all have days like that. Yeah. But for the most part, that's where I'm coming from. I want to, I want to, like when you met me, I want to exude love, hope, happiness. I want to live it. I don't want to preach it. I just want to be it. You really do. I have been um, watching, jumping into some of your interviews on the internet. And I, first of all, I was, I was like, uh, you know, when, when, when we got kind of locked down, I started doing live streaming because I, you know, I have to do, I was doing stand-up comedy and that was, you know, something I've, feel like I have to do because I yeah. just enjoy it so much. And it's, it's also challenging and creative. And all of a sudden I knew, you know, we're not gonna be doing this. So I started doing it online and that's kind of evolved into this show. Same and with me. I see you out there and I'm like, oh, there's somebody out there doing, doing what I'm doing. And I'm really interested in it. And you're doing it in a very um, prolific way. I mean, how so? Well, I just see like, oh, she's doing a live interview. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, she's doing a li another live interview. And then she's doing another one and another one. And then the other day, there you are with uh, Sinbad on there. And I was like, wow, Sinbad. And uh, um, so I see it developing. And I see you developing as an interviewer because I just pop in, like people are popping into this show. Just pop in for a second, check in with you, listen to some of the things that people have to say. And I saw an interview. Don't even know who, it, who you were interviewing. It said on the screen, but I just didn't know the guy. People in the comments were saying, wow, this guy's really, you know, one of my favorite comedians. The guy was periodically getting extremely emotionally um, activated. He was crying. 
but I mean, in a good kind of way, like it was sort of a cathartic sort of like, you know, like I say, laugh therapy. Um, it felt like a kind of therapeutic thing for him. I'm not sure who this guy was. He said that he had been a, uh, he had been a, a musician and then he had had a, he had a 30 year career as a musician, a 30 year career as a, as a uh, comedian. And now he was looking at what the next thing was. And Warren, his name was Warren Durso. Warren Durso. Okay. So I, and I'm like, wow, this person is really like tapping into people and really uh, sharing it with other people. And I think that's one of the great things about interviewing. Um, I had another person break down and cry and that was Steve Marshall. Really? He's a, quite the big thing in New York City. Mm -hmm. And he, at the end of the interview, he said, you're just so sweet. You are sweet. And don't you think that it's sort of the comedian's job to be as personal as possible? <gasps> oh, sorry, I thought think? I forgot to hit record, but you're doing this. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That's okay, the hard that's thing about interviewing, right? Like you're, you're now being interviewed. Yeah. And it's a different thing. Right? Yes, like, am I comfortable in my own skin? I don't remember. Right. Do, am I really going to talk about myself? And you're not <laughs> in control of it necessarily either. Like That's right. Recording, so it's just... Like driving blindfolded. Yeah, yeah. So I am recording. So Good. It's cool. Because this I is wanna, dope. I want to know, um, do you, how personal do you think a comedian should be? And do you think of it as the job of a comedian to be as personal as possible? During an interview in life on stage. On stage. Which, on stage? Yeah. Well, there's, the pendulum keeps swinging around. You know, if you've been 69 years old like me, mm -hmm. you see that coffee is good for you, bad for you, good for you, bad for you. So many times you just like, screw it, I'm addicted. But with comics, the pendulum is swinging right as of late that you're supposed to be very personable um, talking from your own stories and letting and unravel any mystery and let and not hide behind a guitar, mm -hmm. not you know, hide behind your jokes. You're supposed to be like, oh my God, it's people out there waiting till you hear everything about me, and it's got them in the uncomfortable zone. Don't you think? From what you said, you probably do think this, but I'm going to ask you. Um, different audiences expect different things. Absolutely. And comics expect different things from each other. And don't even get me started about the world. It's like and you can't listen to, about everything. You can't even listen to other comics about how you should be because they're all going to tell you you should be a different way. I almost feel like as a comic, you should have like um, different personas. <laughs> like, oh, here I'm the joke telling persona because this is, this is the kind of place where you like, like when I went up to Harvey's, it seemed like that was like a place where they wanted to hear like a bunch of jokes. Like, and you were, and they were, had to be really funny and you had to like a whole bunch of jokes, one after another, after another. And, uh, yeah. and I didn't expect that. Cause I thought Portland, you know, I grew up in Seattle. It's very liberal, very, um, you know, uh, uh, touchy feely, you know, about feelings and, and that kind of stuff. And this place felt like a redneck bar to me. Absolutely. You know, it felt like, you know, like there was people like sitting there going, okay, fine. I, you know, like you said, I got my babysitter now make me laugh. Yeah. And you're like, okay. So now that's a different kind of comedy. It's a different kind of comedy. So you don't, yeah. so do you feel like that as a, as a comedian, you almost have to have a tool belt of a lot of different things, a lot of different styles. Yes. You at might go into some other place to tell jokes and they're like, oh, he's telling dad jokes. You yeah. Know? At Harvey's, 
they're very cautious for instance you know the owners are very cautious to put a host up as a feature or if you've hosted in the past you might not get put on to host again or not because of you because they're afraid of their audiences not being happy you know all it takes is a couple complaints or if they walk by when you're a couple jokes are bombing you know then yeah. You know? Well, they gave me a hard time because I talked about serial killers. I had a, a bunch of jokes where I say, and it's one of my best routines is talking about serial killers. And they came after me at the end and they were like, you know, you can't talk about it. Because I guess the owners are ex-cops. And they said, you know, we were tracing down one of those serial killers and it's not funny. And uh, they had decided that it wasn't funny. And it's not, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's very light and goofy, my serial killer bit. But it was like, whoa, that was a real lesson for me. Because then I had to switch it up. And they were like, sure. tell jokes about the Portland Trailblazers and things but like that. But did the jokes go over with the audience? Yeah. Well, they did. But I also did not understand what a host was. Because this is my first time on the road. And I went up there and I was supposed to, um, I wasn't supposed to host. Um, I, so I went up there and they put me on as a host. And I didn't know that the host comes out and is like, Welcome everybody, here we are. We got a great show for you tonight and we're gonna have a drawing and we're gonna do this and that. I didn't know that. So I came out on stage and just started doing my routine which started out with uh, me pretending that I was an Australian guy. And I just confused oh, yeah. the hell out of them. And, I uh, remember yeah. that. And night. I was kind of clawing my way back. Yeah. But then, you know, and I felt like I kind of got them back towards the end. And you then did. those guys came after me after the show. And so on top of it, so it was a big moment for me. It was a big learning moment for me. I've talked about it on my show before. Um, it was a big learning moment for me because I had to just be like, okay, suck it up. Let's go. Let's see what we can do. You know, and then I had to host the rest of the weekend. You know. Do you, do you realize that um, you will get that kind of feedback when the owners are not trained comics? Yes. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know that the feedback you got was valid in the real yeah. world outside yeah. of clubs that aren't owned that way. Yeah. So what? Uh, luckily, um, Jimmy Shin, who had brought brought me up there, he backed Love me up him. and was like, "Joel, you know, you just have him host the whole time." Um, and so he just had me host the whole time, and I I was like, you know, I was sort of in the beginning, I was sort of like. Well, maybe I should just leave. My parents were coming the next night. I was like, I mean, I shouldn't tell my parents to come. And he was like, what are you talking about? This is part of being a comic. This is what it is, you know? And so I was just like, okay. So I hosted for the rest of the weekend. It got better and better. And I learned what it was to post. But this is the way we learn, you know? This Absolutely. Is the way we learn. Sometimes we want to withdraw though. And yes. so I found that too with comedians uh, in the lockdown. A lot of us, uh, you know, didn't know what to do in the beginning. And so, because, you know, all the clubs are closed. So how yeah. can you be a comedian? I see big comedians out there saying that, well, I can't do anything until this is over. Yes. And I see somebody like you just start doing this. And I'm like inspired by it. I'm inspired by it. Thank you. And I also see that you're inspiring these other comedians when you talk to them. Thank you. Was that your purpose? What, do you have a purpose mm -hmm. um, when you do this? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm quite vocal, so this isn't an exclusive answer here. Mm -hmm. I'm very vocal about it. Um, when the pandemic hit, I got really depressed at the state of the world. And when, when I get really depressed, 
like I'll make a hundred people in a day laugh and I won't stop until I get to a hundred people. Mm -hmm. And when the pandemic hit, I knew I needed something really huge to hang on to, to give me hope. And so I, Zoom was out there and I thought, oh, I wanted to test Zoom is all I wanted to do. So I said, hey, is, can anybody let me get on here and test Zoom? And I saw that the first person I got, uh, a headliner, said that I could. She was so depressed. She didn't know it or say it or, you know, just you could yeah. see she was as bad off as I was before I Zoomed in. When I zoomed in on her and got her on Zoom, it cheered me up to have some contact with a human. Mm -hmm. And I saw throughout the trajectory of me talking to her that without talking about being depressed about the world, her mood lifted. Yeah. And that's I, been the whole purpose behind all of like this. That. Some people are on here to get famous, to get a Netflix special. Mm -hmm. I'm on here because if I'm depressed, there's others out there. And even if they're just have no money that makes them depressed or they need medicine, I just want, I want to cheer people up. I want to connect with them. I think when you're out for a pure reason with no motive, sure. If somebody says, you know, you're a great interviewer, could you come to this club and interview our comedians? That's what I did at Harvey's. I interviewed 39 headliners. Mm. So I'm not new at this, but I had thought that was my past and it would never happen in Vegas. And then by accident, I tripped into it. Mm. And so do you think that interviews are cathartic? They are. They're cathartic for... I've had three people on here. If you went through every interview, you'd know who I'm talking about. But I've had three people who I would say were severely saddened by the stage of the world before we talked. Mm -hmm. And by being, I was raised around people that survived the Holocaust. Mm. And, I, and my goal in my family was to make my parents be in the moment and laugh. Mm -hmm. So I don't care how depressed you are. I'm going to, that's going to make me just go... I can't do comedy just because someone's at a club wanting to get drunk. Sorry, can't do it. <laughs> but if I know you're depressed, oh, I'm coming out swinging now. That's nice. Do you think? Uh, do you think that? Do you make yourself a mission statement for your life? Do you ever do that? I have never sat down and had a mission statement for my life. Never. One of the things that I'm interested in with you also is the Las Vegas comedy scene. Okay. Moving to Las Vegas, what, what is that comedy scene like? There are comedians that are just perpetually headlining every single night or several times a night. What are, do, you, do you know some of these comedians? Do you do this? Um, do you work in the clubs there in, in, when it's open yes. in Las Vegas? Um, and what is that experience like? Well, in Vegas, you have many people who ha have done comedy since the comedy boom in the 80s. Mm -hmm. If I had to guess, I would say that I've met and interviewed, half of the people I've interviewed have 30 years of experience or more. Mm. But you don't know it. And a lot of them live here in Vegas. And what do you mean? And they're humble and they're humbling oh, to talk awesome. to. Mm -hmm. Once you get them to feel comfortable to open up and tell you 
they were on the road with Harry Belafonte, Cher, uh, Sam Kinison, Robin Williams. I mean, these people are everywhere in Vegas. Really? And they probably have tons of material. Oh, yeah. And, you know, then you've got people that are headlining with two years of experience, but the people with 20, 30, 40 years aren't getting the jobs. Then you've got the people at the mics that are trying to get the spots that are filled up by anybody two years to 40 years in the business. So there's a lot of frustration um, and competition. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you, again, back to the whole uh, per, pure motive scenario. Yeah. If you come into a comedy scene or a comedy club with the motive to what can I give? Yeah. You'll receive. Nice. And what so I've just come into this scene to give, and that has wound me up on stage more than going and saying, "Hi, I'm new. Can I have a spot?" That's I'm not sure. going to work. Sometimes you have to make yourself useful. There you go. And, sh- and also, sometimes you have to inform other people what your use is. Exactly. Because I find that a lot of people in the arts, they're kind of like, "Pick me, pick me, pick me," but they're not going. Here's what I have to do. Here's what I do. And sometimes you just have to do it in order for people to see, oh, that's what they do. Yeah, now I might be getting myself pigeonholed into interviewing for the rest of my life. You might. But you know what? I'm having so much fun. And comics are teaching me tricks because like, I'll throw in a question about com. If I get somebody like Sinbad, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to ask him a question about comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. So you know how can- you want you you want to mainly want to be a comedian is that right or do you want to be an actor or do you want to be a uh, an interviewer what what would what's your your main goal pre-pandemic i just Mm -hmm. wanted to be a comedian Mm -hmm. during and post-pandemic it's 50 50 now this took over a large part of my heart you know, one of the things that I find is that you have to kind of, de- like I was saying that thing about the mission statement, you kind of have to keep defining yourself because for one thing, people keep seeing you in a different way and you have to keep informing them of who you are, but you also, the, the landscape shifts. So, you know, what we're doing right now was not something that, you know, we, were, we would probably be doing if it wasn't for what occurred. You have yeah. to kind of roll with the punches and then you go, oh, what is this? And then you kind of just have to, uh, reinvent things as you go along, or at least listen to what it is and play into it rather than try and resist it and go, well, I can't do stand-up comedy anymore. I think I'll just roll up into a ball. Exactly. You know, so I appreciate what you're doing. I just see it happening. I see it growing. I see um, it getting better and better as well. Um, one of the things I heard recently, they said, you. Uh, you know, if you're doing this kind of work, uh, internet shows essentially or YouTube or any of this kind of stuff if you can get one percent better if you can just look at your shows and like next show try and get one percent better your your show will just grow astronomically so that's kind of my my goal I guess um, oh, wow that's great um, I learn something new about interviewing every time you do mm-hmm yeah. I was trained by one of the best interview persons in Portland, Oregon, which is, you know, like saying the bana- best banana in a dumpster. <laughs> Portland's going to hate us after this interview. Oh. <laughs> they know how I feel. So, uh, so tell me then, 
what are some of the tips that you could tell me as an interviewer that uh, I can learn to be a better interviewer? Because I also have learned as I've gone along and been like, yes. oh, I see. But tell well, me. Well, I think um, whenever we get, whenever we invite somebody, they either know about it or they don't ahead of time. So we have to be professional in the invitation phase. Mm. Like the last thing you want to do is be a bait and switcher where you're promising them a bill of goods and you can't deliver and you knew it, but mm. you got the interview. Yeah. Yeah. Second I mean, thing. Well, like a lot of my tips are pre-interview. I like it. I like it. I would have never thought to, to look pre-interview. For interview tips tell me more. there are so many tips at pre-interview you know like yeah. everything you say in when you find them you know find something you connect with them if you're standing in front of me and you want to connect with me and you're a girl for instance you'd say oh what a cute dress i haven't seen a dress with bows up there i have bows on my shoulders you yeah. guys yeah, and <laughs> yeah oh you can see oh yeah, you're, you're not see everybody can see us Oh my God. Yeah, oh my you didn't God. even know. That's great. Because now you're this not is amazing. self aware at all. <laughs> yes, we see your bows. And so, you know, like uh, the only reason I got the Sinbad interview is two reasons. Number one, when Twitter first came out in 2003, 2004, mm -hmm. the, the big wigs were actually talking to the nobody people like me. And uh, so I was sending jokes to him and going, aren't I funny? Shouldn't I do comedy at some point? You know? Yeah. And he would say, that's good. That's good. He never said, boy, this is so boring. He was so nice, so patient. And then when the pandemic hit and I, I thought, yeah, I think I'll just keep doing interviews. I had no idea it was going to take off like it's taken off, you know, like it's yeah. taken off in a very like Portland way. <laughs> Get a bus stop. <laughs> Stops every once in a while, like today when it couldn't get on the internet. Yeah. But, you know, uh, so, you know, so I asked him if he remembered me from Twitter. You know, yeah. I sent him a message on Instagram. Uh -huh. And he says, I do remember you. And I said, great. So I said, I'm doing these interviews. I've interviewed like 39 people at Harvey's and now I'm doing this to keep people cheered up. And could I interview you? He says, let's make it happen. Hmm. As if you, now you, you think right there, you made the sale. Yeah. You got him in the bag. Nope. It was three months later before he actually made good on that promise. Mm -hmm. But two things happened in those three months. I was persistently nice. So mm -hmm. persistence and nice. So I would send him a heart one week and maybe three, four days later say, hope you're having a good day, mm -hmm. you know? And then what, maybe once, twice in there, I said, when can we make this happen? Mm -hmm. or how about Thursday? And then I got kind of a little bit aggressive towards the end because I was getting frustrated, but I wanted to be nice. So I said, yeah. oh, 15 minutes, nothing. Cue the crickets. So <laughs> a few days later, ah, come on. How about 10 minutes? Yeah. I talked myself down you did. to two minutes with him. At the end, I said, listen, any day, anytime, I'll juggle you in two minutes max. 
And that's when he said, here's my personal assistant. Send her a thingamajig and she'll set up the time. When I came down to two minutes. Two minutes. Mm -hmm. That's what the agreement. What is this, TikTok or something? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Snapchat? Yeah. (laughs) Totally. And then he stayed on for 41 minutes. Of course, because nobody's going to want to just talk for two minutes. Yeah. And and also, you're an engaging interviewer. And he probably has a lot to say. I know he has a lot to say because I listened to your interview with him. He definitely has a lot to say. A very interesting person. Seems like a good guy. Yeah. So the I'm I'm I have a brain injury from a drunk driver. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so, you mentioned that. I want to hear about. It. Yeah, I got hit by a drunk driver in 1996 and had to retrain myself because it wasn't bad enough for the VA to send me to any kind of physical mental therapy. Mm-hmm. So. Um, my comedy, I'm six years in and I'm barely at the point where I know, oh, you know, I know I, I get it. I look like, you know, I'm barely there. You know, I'm really, I have a charming personality. People love me and they love to laugh at things I say because I'm quirky. Yeah. But is my material and my delivery that great yet? You know? Yeah. I got a, I got a ways to still go. And what are you doing to train yourself? Well, your brain will repair itself. Uh-huh. But I used to go on stage with something five times as big as this mm-hmm. with notes. Yeah. And now I make my, I won't go on stage unless I have it memorized. Mm-hmm. So I'm forcing, I'm, I'm not using excuses anymore. Well, you know, I find that the, the brain is uh, very plastic and the more you use it, it's just like, just like a muscle. The more you yes. use it, the better it gets. Yeah. Regardless of brain injury or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the better you treat it and the more you use it, the better it gets, which I'm sure you know. Yes. All right. So I think we're running out of time, but this has okay. been a really nice interview and I, th- I really appreciate you coming on my show. You're going to uh, just leave me with a brain injury yeah, like I'm all gonna, the others? Yeah. I'm going to leave you hanging with a brain injury. <laughs> <laughs> no, why? Did you want to give us an inspiring uh, anecdote? Give us another inspiring anecdote. Well, I, I tell a lot of brain injury jokes. My favorite one to say, because it shocks people, yeah. is I like to say, you know, I got hit by a drunk driver in 1996, so bottoms up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> quirky. That is quirky. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. I, I, I'm leaving you with a brain injury, but I don't, I don't believe that you have one anymore. I thank you. Gone. I'll go with that. Let's go with that, right? All right. We all have a little bit of drain bramage, right? Here yes. There. All of us in the 50s were dropped on our head. <laughs> yeah. I fell off my bike one time, smashed my head on the ground. It's not like they, I went and got an x-ray. Who knows what happened? <laughs> 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 All right. Well, okay, uh, okay Linda. Uh, so this has been uh, Linda Marcus Smith. She's a comedian. She's in Las Vegas. She has a show that is happening. What is your YouTube channel? It's comedian Linda Marcus Smith. Three names. Comedian, comedian Linda, Marcus Linda Marcus Smith. And you can also find her on Facebook and any place else that people want to find you. On Facebook, it's great because they just pop up and there they are interviewing. You just jump in there and Listen I to use them for TikTok. a while, say some stuff. Yeah. You use I TikTok? use TikTok. I use Twitter. I Are was you? on MySpace with David Brent. David Brenner liked my jokes. David Brenner is is the is a great was a great comedian. 
fantastic comedian. Yeah. Um, so that is a big, that is a big plus to have him. Isn't like that there. amazing? Yeah, that's super cool. But the um, first so he, time I sent him a joke, he told me it doesn't have a punchline. I was so devastated. You said, you said uh, this is when was that? That was when MySpace first came so out. Nineties. I don't remember. Maybe jokes still had punchlines back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, um, thank you so much for being on the show. And um, thank you, Joe Marshall. Look forward to seeing more interviews out there. Thank and you. Also more Thanks. stand-up comedy and more punchlines. Yeah, I need really strong punchlines to feel confident. You know, I'm 69. I need rock solid stuff. Especially when those Portland people are staring at you. Yeah, I want to, I hope they come to Vegas and see me killing out here. <laughs> All right. So that was the incredible Linda Marcus Smith. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, Cause she is a, she's a powerhouse and inspirational. And uh, thanks for everybody for, for joining us today. Um, I've got, you know, okay. So we've got Jeff Lohman's trivia night coming up next Friday. Hit me up on Facebook. We'll put you in the group or whatever. Um, send me a message. So now we're going to have dance party uh, or, or not dance party. Uh, our musical interlude at the end. Dance break. Dance break. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Uh, I need a thigh master for my brain. Uh, just putting a few of the comments here. Yeah, I want to be there. I'm there. Actually, I'm there. Come on, Sue. Come on in. Uh, the water's fine. All right, so uh, now we're going to take a dance break, and I will see you next week for more fun. Watch The Princess Bride. That's what we're doing. We're watching The Princess Bride. Thank you, Mary. I love it that you're in the Twitch, Twitch room. We need more people in the Twitch room because we need more followers because then more followers begets more followers in the Twitch. So um, it's dance break time. Here we go. It is a mantra, beautiful mantra. And looking back at some of the animals that we've enjoyed this week. Wait a week.